0: Hi, this is Nick Yaldo. I am the program director of the anesthesiology residency for Henry Ford Health System. You are listening to Interview with the Surgeon with the Surgeon Agent.
1: On this episode of Interview with the Surgeon, we welcome Dr. Nicholas Yeldo, Director of Educational Programs and the Residency Program Director of Anesthesiology at Henry Ford Hospital. He has transformed the program into a progressive, innovative educational and training experience focused on advanced educational paradigms and physician wellness. His research interests include innovative educational approaches to resident education and methods to apply and assess physician well being in graduate medical education programs. Dr. Yeldo is heavily involved in teaching and mentorship of residents, fellows, and medical students. He he is currently an assistant professor of anesthesiology and critical care at Wayne State University School of Medicine. He also currently serves as a chair of the Graduate Medical Education Committee at Henry Ford Hospital and serves on various local, regional, and national committees focused on resident and medical student education. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining Interview with the Surgeon. Today, we welcome Dr. Nick Yeldo, Program Director of Anesthesiology at Henry Ford. Doc, how are we doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being with us. So let's get this started. What were your goals and aspirations during your residency, and how would those changed throughout your fellowships?
0: Well, you know, my goals and aspirations throughout residency were quite different than where I've ended up now. Actually, um, I trained out in Boston. I trained in a highly academic institution, and actually, my goals were to have nothing to do with academics. Um, my goals were to go out into private practice after getting as much training as I could get to be the best possible provider uh, in as wide of a scope as I could possibly do within the the training that I had, um, and go out and just take care of patients. Uh, I did not really realize my passion for academics, education, working with residents, mentorship, et cetera, until I had really gone through the whole process of a Harvard residency, two fellowships, and even going into private practice for a couple of years Working in a, I would call probably a high a hybrid environment, more of a private practice environment with some academics involved, meaning some residents that that we trained. Um, but really, things took a 180 for me. So I was, I just wanted to be excellent clinically and to go out, do my job, and come home to my family and friends and have fun and you know enjoy all of the other million things that I do socially and otherwise. So um, you know that that was. Uh, that was my mindset i wanted to come out and make money
1: so taking us through that last fellowship year what was the mentality heading into your first job search and how that perspective changed in the beginning years of your career
0: so i am um, you know a very uh you know kind of rooted person in in my hometown i I have a very close-knit family you know 70 first cousins very, very close-knit group of people. And I knew without a doubt that I wanted to be in Michigan. Right. So when I left Boston, I applied to one fellowship program. Um, it ended up being two fellowship programs, but to one place, the University of Michigan, that was it. I knew that's that was where I was going. Um, and if I wasn't going to get into those fellowships or whatever, I wouldn't have done a fellowship. That, that, w- that was the decision that I made. So I got those fellowships. I was in Michigan. So in my job search and in my last year of fellowship, thinking about what I was going to do, where I was going to go, it was limited to Michigan. I did not uh, have the ability to look nationwide and to think about things uh, in that in that perspective. I also met my wife the last year of fellowship, and uh, she's really the reason that I that I for sure solidified the fact that I was never going to leave Michigan. Um, and so met her, and you know we were actually married within a year. But. Um, coming out of fellowship, I, I knew that I wanted to be back in Metro Detroit. I was in the Ann Arbor area training, and uh, which is about 45 minutes away, but it's a big academic center. And I knew that that was even too far away from home for me. So I didn't want to be the 45 minutes away. I wanted to be right there in the heart of Metro Detroit with, with the rest of my family and friends. So that limited my search to probably four or five different institutions. And so I have three board certifications. I'm a triple boarded doctor. I'm an ICU doctor. I'm a cardiac anesthesiologist. And then I'm a general anesthesiologist. And so I didn't do those extra fellowship years for nothing. I wasn't going to go out and practice without practicing all of my fellowship specialties, especially as a new guy. You know, you're just, you've learned over the fellowship year, but you really want to solidify your skills over the next five to 10 years. So that limited things even further, because not all, anesthesia departments have that reach within their hospital systems. Many don't have any presence in the ICU. Um, And so I wanted a job where I was gonna do everything I could um, and in practice and all the things that I trained in and, you know, make a decent salary. So, you know, I guess going to the highest offer with everything that I wanted was really the mentality that I had. Um, Now I knew who I was coming out of training. Um, a Harvard training and triple board certification is not something that you come across. It's, a, it's more of a, a, a very rare thing to see in the field of anesthesiology, let alone across medicine. And I knew that. And, and so while I didn't wanna seem like completely arrogant, I did uh, have this feeling within me that I wasn't gonna settle for anything and that I wasn't gonna be taken advantage of and that I had, I had something to offer these places. And, um, you know, and, and so I went in with that, I guess, in the back of my mind, uh, maybe not on my face, but, or, you know, wearing it on my sleeve, but definitely in the back of my mind.
1: Now, can kind of take us through that first year of your job. You know, did you end up starting in private practice or were you academic focused all the way?
0: So <clears throat> I applied to three different places and for different reasons, all three of them wanted me to work for them. Uh, and I had turned one of them down. These were all private practice institutions with residencies, so there's a difference. There are, you know, genuine academic institutions, which are, you know, for the most part, non for profit attached to a university affiliation, um, you know, uh, function in an academic, uh, um, you know, uh, model, and then there are what we call hybrid institutions, which are Private practices, which may have some affiliation with a university or an academic uh, institution, but are essentially a private practice, you know, for-profit model, who may also have a residency as well. Um, they tend to be less academically focused, but you know, they have they have the program and they make it work and they do what they have to do. So, all of these places were were that kind of a model, some more than others. And so, I knew that they wanted me to work for them, all three of them. And uh, I went kind of back and forth uh, to the ones that I thought, you know, again, would give me the best exposure to all of my specialties. And so I ended up nearly signing with one of them, but they kept refusing to give me the contract and, and, and they wouldn't let me see the contract until the very end. And when I finally read the contract, and then, and then so I had kind of denied or put the others on hold right? So the other programs thought, you know, there was no shot. So I kept going through the motions with this other place and they, and I, and finally saw the contract and said, this is not okay. First of all, I know for a fact that you've offered other grads who have joined you within a year, new grads, a lot more money than you're offering me. And they have, you know, much lower quality training and no fellowship. So what gives? you know, and then they came back with a excuse saying well, things have changed now, et cetera, whatever. And I said, I'm not going to buy this contract. And they said, Oh wait, we'll make amendments and we'll give it back to you. Give us some time. So they came back a month later with some event amendments, which were essentially meaningless. So uh, I told them I'm not interested and I had no options at this point. I told them I'm absolutely not going to buy this and I'm not going to be taken advantage of. And, you know, I'll leave the state if I have to, even though I was bluffing. So um, I, I, basically told them they could, you know, you know what, and uh, canceled the whole agreement. So then they were freaking out and saying, oh, wait, hold on, blah, blah, blah. So I went back to the other groups um, and said, hey, you know, what? what's going on? Are you, are you still looking? In the meantime, one of the other groups had been taken over by a big national company. So it was different people that I was interviewing with. And so they reached out to me and said, we want you to come work here. Um, and so I met them one day after work and uh, basically told them that, you know, if they made me an offer that just blew every other offer out of the water, that I would consider them, that I had contracts ready to go. um, And that, you know, if, if this was something that they wanted to happen, that they should act like it. And this was a place that had taken over a new contract, that had fired a lot of the physicians or decided not to renew the a lot of the physicians that were there decided not to renew their contracts so they were desperately in need of physicians they also had a residency and so they're desperately in need of academically trained fellowship trained physicians and i'm not sure if a lot of people realize this but you know especially in the field of anesthesiology you have to have in order to run a residency you have to have people who represent each subspecialty so pain icu ob cardiac etc and i represent two specialties. So it's kind of like killing two birds with one stone. So those people came back and made me an offer that I don't think any new grad, I've never seen an offer like this for any new grad coming out of fellowship ever to this day. Um, It was, you know, a lot of money, a lot of vacation. It was more than my current attendings and fellowship, almost double the salary that they were making, my attendings. In fact, the attendings that I was showing the contract to were then coming to me and saying, can you get us a job in this place? So, you know, uh, I looked at the details of the contract. My, I have a lot of buddies who are attorneys. They looked at it. They wanted me to argue on a bunch of these points. I went and argued on the points. They came back and said, there's no arguing on these points. This is the way it is, very vague. You know, I knew that I had 10 weeks of vacation. I knew that I was gonna make this much money, but other than that, I didn't really know anything else. So I signed the contract, that was it. Um, you know, I bluffed and I felt like I won, and uh, and so I went to work for this place, and um, you know the next two years were a very interesting, uh, very informative time of my life. Um, you know, I, I it, it is it is not it, it was not a, it, uh, an experience that I that I you know was a waste at all because it was it was these two years that I realized my love for academics and mentorship and teaching because that residency program really did not have anyone who truly cared and taught those residents. And I showed up, you know, right out of the gate, running uh, and really getting involved in everything that the residents were doing, taking everyone under my wing, teaching them, mentoring them, guiding them, providing a standard of care that they were not used to uh, in a place that, you know, the standard was definitely questionable on, on many days but I think giving them an opportunity to see a type of practice that they may not have been used to. Um, and I fell in love with the residents. I, th- I thought it was amazing and I, and I became, I think a big part of their lives. They became a big part of my life, but at the same time, the place really started wearing on me. Um, I was, I became the associate program director. They named me the associate program director within a couple months. I was doing a full complement of ICU seven days, 24-7 straight, no breaks. I mean, sometimes I would sleep for a couple hours and then go the next full next day. My residents were getting a lot more sleep than I was. Um, and it was just a very taxing uh, time. I was doing all the cardiac cases. Uh, you know, Usually like where I am now, we do one-on-one cardiac case. So I just take care of that very advanced complex case. In this place, I'd be covering maybe two or three rooms at the same time, which is, really dangerous and you know not, not really the best model and so and, and i was just getting you know worked i mean it, you know 16 hour days all the time rarely getting a break it, it was just crushing and, and i don't blame them for that as much i mean yes it was the environment in a place that i didn't feel very supported and just felt kind of you know whatever um more like a number but it was my fault as well because i'm a go-getter and i you know i don't i didn't know how to say no and I just wanted to, you know, be good at what I did and help and, you know, be a be a big um, factor in that place. And I and I definitely was. I definitely was. But it came at a cost, and that was my own well being. You know, my my life at home was like one of those after school specials where you come home and you know your wife is like, oh my gosh, like you're home early. I can't believe. It. Let's go like for ice cream and a walk. And you're like yeah, let's do it, honey. Let's go, whatever. And she's like, I'll just get ready really quickly. And she goes in the bathroom and then like comes out and you're like sleeping on the bed. And she's like, oh God, And she just covers you and walks away and cries. So that was like every day of my life for two years. And uh, it was, it was rough. Um, so, you know, uh, I, I graduated a, a couple classes and one of them went over to work where I'm currently working um, at the same time that they were, they had gotten a new chair, uh, who was was a fantastic guy, I believe you met him. And so my residents that had gone over there said, Hey, there's this guy that we want you to meet. So he just called me randomly one day cold called me and said, I want to talk to you. And um, that is how I felt that that, that's really how I began to uh, feel that I had a way out of that kind of private practice, corporate type of uh, group setting. And that's how I ended up back in the academic setting and offered the job as program director and director of educational programs. And that's where I, that's where I am now.
1: That's a really amazing story. Can you kind of take us just through the mentality you were going through when those first couple of years, obviously you learned a lot, maybe sometimes it was a hard way that you learned, but thinking about what you know now and the business experience you have now, what would you have done differently when you're going through the job interview process the first time? So
0: honestly, you can only, you can only uh, act in a way that people will be receptive to. And I think that's part of the problem. You know, when you walk into these contract negotiations, you're reading your contract, these places that you're applying to much of the time make it seem like there is no option. So you're scared because like maybe not everyone is going to be as aggressive or as You know, um, um, you know, uh, willing to take chances as I am. I I doubt, I doubt that. But here I am bluffing through all these things. I, I I don't think many people are going to do that. So you're scared. You need a job. You know, you don't want to go and start without, without a job. Um, And, you know, whether you've done a fellowship or not, you're concerned that you've taken this year, which equates to hundreds of thousands of dollars lost to get some extra training. And you say, well, I've done this year. I don't want to miss out on this year. And so I want to be able to practice in that specialty. So that constraint is there. Um, and so what would I have done differently? I mean, I, I guess I would have asked more questions. Um, I would have talked to more people. I would have reached out to people who maybe have worked for this place or you know, to get a feel for the culture and to get a sense of, of things. Um, and you know, would that have changed things? I mean, you know, at the end of the day, you have to put food on the table. And unfortunately, unfortunately, we are sometimes put in a position where we have to make a choice and it's not always the best choice. And so I don't know that anything would have been different. I don't know that I would have changed anything, um, but I would have changed my behavior while I was there because I could have protected myself more. I could have said no. I could have said, no, I'm not going to do this or no, this is not right. Or, you know, uh, and there were a lot of things that I think were promised um, verbally and never followed through on, you know, I could have held people accountable more, um, but I didn't. And so I'm just lucky and grateful that, you know, I, I, I had a way out. Um, And, you know, those places, knew that that was the trajectory because that's the same story that seven eight ten of my colleagues will tell you same type of a story came on saw what it was came from great places um and um so you know what would i do differently i would just protect myself a lot more in that environment i probably could have made it better for myself, but I didn't. And, you know, I, I, um, that lesson has, has helped me tremendously in in everything that I do now, because I'm not a different person. I'm still the same guy who's going to go and step up and do this and take this on and that on that on. But, you know, it doesn't matter who you are. That's not sustainable behavior. So.
1: Now, as a program director, what would you say were some of the keys to your success that shaped your early career that allowed you to do what you're doing now?
0: Sticking uh, to to what I knew was was true, and st- sticking to my standards, and 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 keeping, uh, staying true to my values. You know, I never compromised. I never bought into their BS. I never said, okay, I'll just, you know, do this in an unsafe manner. Okay, I'll just, you know, um, you know, be influenced or or break, so to speak um, and go along with the group. I don't care what the group is doing. I'm going to, I'm going to do what I do. And I don't care if I'm the one who, every time a surgeon comes up to me or every time someone says, Hey, just do it, just do it. Let's go. You know, we, we have, we have a schedule to keep, we have money to make. So I was the guy that would just say no. And, you know, um, sooner or later they realized that I was right. And you, you only have to save someone's butt so many times for them to start to take you seriously. And so I guess, without really knowing it, without really knowing what I was doing, that's what I was doing. And then I started to realize it and realize what was happening, uh, you know, in in, in hindsight, but um, it was exhausting, man. I mean, people would say like, you know, it's just like you're going to work to fight every day. And I was fine. I, I was fine do, fighting the fight. Um, but I think ultimately that's what took the toll fighting the fight alone without any support, but I fought it. And that was the reason that people around started saying, "Hey, man, you know this guy is, is solid, and we should we should get this guy in our place. He doesn't belong in this place or that place." So, I think I just stuck to my guns, and I think that was the most important part of it, um, because too many times people come out and they're they're really you know they come they come with good uh, a good core, and they they know what to do and they know the right thing, and then they just get influenced because you know, this is just how it, we do it here. And really isn't that the discord between, you know, why we ever came to this field in the first place and then what we end up doing. That's really the source of unwellness, you know, people being unwell talk about resilience and, and wellness and all this stuff. A, a big part of that is rooted in the fact that a lot of people end up doing what they don't want to be doing or what they never imagined that they would be doing. So, um, I think it's important to not only teach people the right way to do things so that they can go out and model that same type of behavior. But once you know that and in your heart, know it's true, stick to it, no matter what the corporate world or the financial world wants to, to tell you. Um, and I think you can do that, you know? Um, so that's, that's the big
1: one. Very well said. Now I wanna stay on that same thought process as a mentor to all your residents, what advice do you have to the graduating residents and fellows entering the professional job market for the first time?
0: Don't do it alone. Don't do what I did. Don't do it alone. Do you have to talk to as many people as possible? People are intimidated by leadership and that's kind of the, um, it's, it's one of the the complexities that I deal with every day. You know, I'm a younger guy. I mean, I, I was program director at 36. I'm 40 now, but you know, still, I don't think I'm that that old. But the, you know, the dilemma is that the people who are most experienced and have gone through it are usually are many times in places of power. But then the younger people are intimidated to approach them and ask about things. Oh, I don't want to bother you, or oh, I don't, you know, I don't want to show weakness to my program director or take my chair's time or whatever you know, you have to be your own advocate and, and being your own advocate means communicating with as many people as possible. I love it when people reach out to me and say, hey, um, you know, especially in the virtual world that we're in now, can I just have a 15 minute Zoom call? And it's it's just so easy to do. And I'm, I'm very happy to do it. And You know, in the field of medicine, you are always gonna find people who are happy to be mentors to you and to help you, to advise you. The best thing that I can advise to medical students, residents, fellows, talk to as many people as you can. You know, reach out. If you have one contact somewhere, that can become 50 contacts. Um, And, you know, uh, I mean, between my chair and I, we know thousands of people that we can put you into contact with. So don't be afraid to use that angle you know, don't be afraid to kind of put someone out a little bit to take a little bit of their time. It's not that big of a deal. And you'd be surprised at the meaningful relationships you can end up forming. Lord knows I've formed so many of them across the country, across the world, Uh, just by saying, can I take 15 minutes of your time? People are flattered by that. You know, I, I, can I seek your counsel, please? I mean, think about it. If someone comes to you and says, can I seek your counsel? All of a sudden you're like, oh, yes, let me, share my wisdom with you. I mean, you know, it's a little bit of ego boosting, whatever, but at the end of the day, um, it works. And so don't shy away from finding mentors. You and like your cousin are not enough. You and your roommate are not going to do it on your own. Um, you, you don't go at it by yourself. You are not smarter than the rest of the world. Uh, and, and that's, look, I'm telling you, because that's how I felt. I was like, I got this. You know, I've been a businessman my whole life. I don't need anyone telling me about this and that. And frankly, I, I was—I got burned, I feel like. Um, and, uh, and so I just, that's my greatest piece of advice. Try to get as many perspectives on, on something um, as you can. And at the end of the day, take what you want from each of those and make your own decision. That's fine. No one's saying that you should do what they tell you, but at least get as many perspectives as you can.
1: Yeah, that's one of the things I talk to my kids a lot about. So thank you for saying that. It's so raw hearing that from someone like yourself. Now with that also in mind, you know, right now we're in a virtual world and a lot of the animal conferences are really uh, online now. And so what advice do you have for the graduating class regarding their networking and outreach process when right now they don't have the ability to meet folks like yourself at conferences?
0: Listen, you have to strategize, okay? This is not checkers, this is chess. And you have to start early. So you start in medical school, you're still going to be around people. You know, we're not locking ourselves in a box, whether it's virtual, whether it's email. In fact, the reality is that it's easier than ever to contact people. You, you know, it's, so lo- it's, it's so low energy to need to just do, to do a virtual conference. It doesn't take much out of my day. I mean, you know, like I could be sitting here in my, in my underwear right now, you don't know it, right? So it's not a big deal reach out to someone, send an email, send 50 emails if you need to, get contacts and start early and keep business cards, keep numbers and emails, store them in your phone, um, and reach out to people. Uh, you know, It doesn't matter if they're in the field that you are hoping for. And by the way, conferences are still happening. I've presented at three conferences in the last month. They're still happening. So they're happening virtually and even even so there are people who are knowledgeable who are presenting to you we're still giving people the opportunity residents and trainees to present posters and present scholarly work at conferences there are moderators there are people who attend those conferences you know you can reach out to people you can get a contact i get thousands of emails a month from people saying hey can i you know i want to be in your program i want to do this i want to do that just Just play the numbers, reach out to people, try to make as many contacts, start early and use the virtual platform to your advantage. A 15 minute meeting is the most low impact thing you can do. Nobody's gonna fault you or consider a 15 minute meeting a big deal. So that's all you say. You don't schedule an hour meeting. I don't even take hour meetings with anybody, even the president. So, you know, make it short, make it sweet. 10 15 minutes. If they like you, then you can have another 20 15 minute meetings. Just get in, get your foot in the door and make it meaningful. Be prepared when you talk to them so that you have meaningful questions to ask ask them. And when you do that and you don't waste their time, people are more likely to continue their interaction with you. But I mean, listen, you just have to have faith. You, you got to be positive. You can go into two, one or two different situation jobs and hate your your life. And that's fine. Don't worry about it. Make the best of everything. Those two years that I spent were still awesome years. I mean, I became literally bulletproof clinically go walking into those years, walking out of those years because of what I had to put up with and the lack of resources and the clinical environment that I was in. It just it made me better. Everything is a learning experience. And you know, it don't get down on yourself. Just keep on pushing and pushing and you know y- you know, as long as you have the will to keep trying to you know, improve yourself and improve your situation, you can get yourself out of any hole. So, you know, and it, it's typical for people to go into a couple of jobs that they don't like before they find that, that actual uh, situation that they like. Did I ever imagine I was going to be a program director my entire life? No, I didn't. And here I am four years later, very successful program, very meaningful changes. You know, I'm a chair of the Graduate Medical Education Council for the whole Henry Ford Hospital. Now, nobody would have imagined it. Like I told you, residency never even thought I would talk to a medical student or resident ever, but here we are. And so that's the recipe that worked. I represent that recipe that someone took a chance on and ended up working. So that could be you too. So just keep the faith, be positive.
1: We hope you enjoyed this episode of Interview with the Surgeon. Until next time, stay focused and keep following your dreams.